Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted to be with you on this beautiful spring morning. Thank you, thank you for joining us. If you are joining us online from wherever the Lord has you today, thank you for tuning in. We want you to feel connected to this community from wherever you are today. So I want to encourage you, participate in that chat. Make a profile if you haven't yet so that we know that you are here. We also have online hosts available for you all throughout the service. They'd love to get to know you and answer your questions. And we have a request prayer button over on the right-hand side. If you would like to go into a private chat with one of our hosts, they would love to pray with you. Again, we want you to feel connected to what the Lord is doing in this place from wherever you are so that nothing would stand between you and what God is doing in this community. So take advantage of that this morning. Well, thank you again for being here this morning. I'd love to invite you now, as you are able, to stand, either in body or in spirit, for our call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 95. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise with songs of praise. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's open our hearts before the Lord and worship together this morning. Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt. And to know you is to love you. And to know so little else I need you. Oh, how I need you.
light, glorious light. I will go where you shine, break the dawn, crack the skies, make the way bright before me in your life. I will find all I need, all I need is you. Oh, light, glorious light, I will go where you shine, break the dawn, crack the skies, make the way bright before me in your life. I will find all I need, all I need is you. Oh, oh, how I need you. 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 Amen.
scripture reading for this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah. He writes in the voice of the Lord, saying, I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Let's continue lifting up worship to our God who is worthy this morning. Speak and when you move, 
together in prayer this morning. 
Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence in this place. Whether we feel it or not, whether we have the emotional high that we love to experience in musical worship or not, we recognize that you are here and at work in this place and in the lives of your people. And so we believe, will you help our unbelief that you are near to us, that you are at work, that you are moving. We thank you for when we feel you close. We thank you for when we are tangibly, physically, emotionally aware that you are close. And we thank you that you're close even if we don't feel it. For those in this room who are desperate to feel you, will you encourage them in their hearts right now that it is okay if they don't? That you are not reliant upon their feelings or their emotions to move in their life, to move in their heart, to do transformative work. It's okay. Holy Spirit, we rely on you so completely as we've just saying things don't change until you are in the room, until you are on the move. So we thank you. We are expectant of you to continue to move this morning in us and through us to speak powerfully and mightily through your word because your word promises that it will not come back void. We know it is your spirit that speaks to us, that interprets this word, that brings it to life that we might be transformed by it. And so we, we ask, Holy Spirit, that we just might be awake with eyes that are open to see you as you move. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the mothers in the room, those watching online, for, for the biological mothers and the adoptive mothers, for the foster mothers for the dads and the friends and the teachers who also mother us, for the spiritual mothers. I lift up those for whom this day is not a happy day or a day of celebrating, but a day of, of grief, of loss, of remembering. I lift up those for whom their relationship with their mom or with their children is strained or broken. Thank you that you are the giver of good gifts and you are the redeemer of broken things. You are the giver of perfect love. So for the mom who feels at the end of her rope today, thank you that you are the giver of perfect love and sustaining grace. For the one who feels alone and needs to be mothered, Who's maybe whose own mom didn't show up. Will you reach her or him in this moment with your own mothering love? Father, we, we bring all of it to you, the joy and the grief. We thank you that you are big enough to handle all of it. We can celebrate this day and we can also honor and grieve this day at the same time and it's not too much for you help us to have eyes that are open to see those around us who need to be honored and celebrated today and those who maybe just need a hug 
need to be seen. Whatever loss they have experienced, whatever difficulty they're walking through. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to empower us with eyes to see each other clearly today. We rely on you so completely, so utterly. To get anything right, we need you. And so we need you as we open your word this morning. Will you take our flesh and our sinfulness and our selfishness out of the way? Will you open our eyes so that we can see clearly? Take our preconceived ideas about what your word is and what it says and help us to actually openly receive what you have for us today. Receiving something from you in a new way. You have something new and fresh for us, no matter how many times we've heard this word preached. You have something for us, Holy Spirit. May we be receptive to you today. You're so good to us. We love you. All of this is for you. It's in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our blessed Savior and King who is seated on the throne of grace that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, Springbrook family and friends. My name is Rebecca Suarez, and it is a pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Thank you for joining us either here in person or online. If you are joining us online, would you please so, be so kind as to fill out our online connection card. For those of you gathering here in person, each row of seats is provided with a, um, co a connection card as well, if you would fill that out. And just provide us with your information so we have a way to reach out to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, that's a great place to put that stuff as well. And um, moving on to VBS. We have VBS this year, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, if you have friends, um, children's friends, if you have neighbors, if you have grandchildren, nieces, nephews, please invite them out. We are at 50% capacity right now. That will fill up fast. It always does. But it's such a great opportunity to reach the kids in our community. Um, if you have anybody that perhaps is unchurched, it's really an easy ask to get kids out for this. Um, I, I get contacted quite often by people who don't even go to church and just want their kids to attend a VBS. It's a really good opportunity. So just share, mention it in conversation, and I think you'll be surprised to find many people interested to ask questions. So get those kids registered for that. That's June 6th through the 10th. Also, we are going to be having a baptism service coming up. If you are looking to... Um, uh, attend that to participate in a baptism if you have not yet done that proclamation of your faith please consider doing so if you could visit springbrook.org baptism for more information on that and then happy mother's day to everybody that is out there that has the honorable title of mother mom mom mama whatever it might be um, if you would, when you leave this, this morning, we have some lovely bags of goodies in the back, or uh, in the lobby. If you would grab one of those um, and enjoy that. There's also some treats out there for the rest of the family. So please take that time to get yourself a little bit of chocolate and honor yourself. And um, we're going to watch a video at this time, and then Matt will be out to jump into Hebrews. Thank you.
Well, hello, everyone. Um, can we get the... We're in the book of Hebrews right now. Um, and um, this is more my problem. The, the PowerPoint slides are a crutch for me. And so when I don't see them, I worry. Um, but welcome to Springbrook. Um, I want to start with... Well, Okay. Oh, nope. There's that. This is all okay, everybody. This is okay. So last night, um, Mother's Day for Jess started with Levi woke up at about 11.55 and did not go back to bed until about 2.30. And whenever I tried to hold him and comfort him, he would not take that. And so, um, happy Mother's Day, Jess. Um, I I felt bad for her last night, because when I tried to take him at one point, I thought I got him quiet, and then, no, and he just, as soon as he realized it was me, his wails got louder, and he normally likes me, Um, but so here's our obligatory Mother's Day slide. Um, I just want to acknowledge it at the start, and so happy Mother's Day. Um, Last night, we were up a very long time, and I could hear Levi from bed, so I was up with Jess the whole time, and I just felt so bad for her, for what she was experiencing, Um, and it was just a hard night, Um, but so she's home today with our kids, and um, that's all I've got for Mother's Day, so, um, because it doesn't really fit the passage today. Today we're going to talk about something that, um, it's Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it while I tell this quick story, Um, because as, as we jump in today... A huge part of what we are talking about today is the humanity of Jesus. And um, I I started putting my PowerPoint together Monday morning and and thinking about this passage and really digging in. And then Monday afternoon, Jess called and our pediatrician said, little girl needs to go to the emergency room. Um, And so, so our morning started with this, or our morning, our afternoon started with this little girl, kinda happy, Um, And then we were in the emergency room four hours, and once the Motrin kicked in, she was running around. It was like, keep your mask on, um, and stay with us, and stop eating apples, and all these things. Um, And then we finally got seen by the doctors, and she was still happy. Um, And then the Motrin quit working. (laughs) And so so all of a sudden, our night changed. Um, But then she was happy again because they gave her more, more Motrin later. So they gave her stickers, and she was putting them on her face and my face. So every time the nurses came in, I couldn't talk. Um, And then she had to get an IV and a bunch of other stuff. Um, But the night ended happy at about 2 a.m. And I I started from this because on Monday, last week I talked about resting in the Lord. Um, And on Monday, Lucy had a fever of 105. And it was a very stressful day. And I just kept trying to say, God, I... I don't know what to do with an hour from now, but God be with me right now. While I was in the emergency room, it was so crowded that, you know, we were, all the triage was happening in the, in the, the waiting area, the waiting room, and, and it was just this stressful day, and I've got my little girl there, and I'm wondering what on earth is going to happen, what is wrong, is there some major infection? I, I had all of these thoughts, and in the middle of all of it, I, I just kept thinking, over and over about the fact that that we're born into that. Jesus willingly went into that. And it just 
shatters me to think that God would humble himself to living in such a way that, that he would be subject to sickness and subject to pain and subject to temptation and subject to all of the things that he, is, or he subjected himself to when he became a man at the incarnation. And, and I will tell you, I would not be willing to do that on my own um, at all, in my own power. I would say, no, thank you. I will stay up here in heaven, but praise the Lord that Jesus did that. And so this, this last week, I've been thinking a lot about the little things we are subjected to versus what Jesus willingly subjected himself to. And so I'm going to read the passage. Um, we're going to cover a lot of stuff today, but I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, or, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that we have a high priest who knows our weakness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He can deal gently with us. And we thank you that through him we are invited to draw near to your throne of grace. And at that throne, we can receive mercy from you, Lord. And we can find grace in our time of need. And we thank you that that is true for all who call you Lord, who, for all who hold fast to the confession about your son, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven, that he reigns. And we thank you through your spirit, we can actually take steps towards you. We thank you that we can follow after you. We can experience rest with you in this life and the life to come. I pray right now as we consider your throne and as we consider your son, our high priest, that for those here who maybe don't know you and don't know what your son has done for them, that your spirit would be speaking to them, that they would recognize what a great gift we have in Jesus. 
and what a great high priest we have and what a great king we have. We, we thank you for him. And I, I pray for all of us today that wherever we are at, that today our hearts and our minds would better align to the picture of who your son is in scripture. I pray your spirit would be speaking through me and that you would give us all ears to hear the message that you have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So when we started the book of Hebrews, when, when Rich, Tim, and I got together, I said multiple times, I don't want to have to talk about Melchizedek. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know who Melchizedek is, you will by the end of today. Um, the good news is, I don't think it's nearly as complicated as I used to, um, and we'll get to that. Um, but, but we need to start, we're going to read the first three verses again together and, and look at one thing, and then we're going to look at the second half of the passage and then come back at the end. Um, and so this, there's a lot going on here, and before we jump in, I, I just need you to hear the hardest thing about the book of Hebrews is that it assumes you have a strong understanding of what being a Hebrew is, which is being a Jewish person, which is understanding Genesis through Deuteronomy. The author builds this passage with the, with the assumption that those reading it understand the Old Testament well. And in our modern, individualized, Western culture, we don't. And so we need to recognize that as we jump in, because there's a lot going on in this passage. But let's start at the beginning. So Hebrews 4, 14, and 15 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And if you remember from last week, last week um, we ended with... Um, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account since then... So, so last week we talked about the, the word of God. We are exposed before the Lord. We are naked before the Lord. He knows every sin. He knows every intention of our hearts. And so let us strive to enter that rest. Let us, rest. Let us strive for obedience to him even as we fall short. And we know he sees every bit of our weakness and our failure. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, our confession that Jesus is Lord. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses when he sees us naked and exposed before him in our sin and the intentions of our heart. He does not say, why, how on earth could they be that? He is a priest who is able to to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is, in every, he is the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, sitting on the throne, does not look at us in disdain. He, he regards us with gentleness and love because he experienced temptation, but he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need when we're struggling to strive to enter that rest, when we're struggling to follow after the Lord, when we're struggling because we have doubts, we have fears, we have anxiety, we have depression, when, when we don't know what to do in this life, when we're struggling with little things or big things, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And that word, draw near, 
And in, in the, I, I don't know how they could translate this better, um, but the word behind draw near is this like worship Greek word. The draw near is let us move closer to God in our worship of him, in the way we pray, in the way we regard him, in everything that we do. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. It's, it's an idea tied to worship. It's not a physical location place. Drawing near to the throne of grace is not I came to church. Or I went in, some people have like prayer rooms. It's not I went into my prayer room so I could draw near. We have access to the throne of grace no matter where we are at. And, and when we go there, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're going to end today talking about the throne of grace. But, but we are called and we can confidently draw near to that throne. And so we'll define that at the end. But first, we need to talk about something that the author assumes you all know and assumes I know and assumes all of us have a good understanding of that I'm going to bet a lot of us don't. And, and the first thing we have to know is that we're about to talk about a chiasm, about high priests. Now Jesus said, let us therefore draw near because we have a great high priest. That's where we started this passage. We have a great high priest. And the author assumes you know what the language of a high priest is. And then in our modern setting, some of you might be like, when you say priest, I'm thinking Catholic, I'm thinking Pope. Some of you might be like, I'm thinking the Eastern Orthodox Church. I don't know what you're thinking, but, but what I do know is that our modern framework does not fit this very well. And so we're going to look at this thing called a chiasm in, in Hebrews 5, 1 through 10, where there's a point at the beginning and a point at the end that match up. And then a point B and then C. This is an ancient literary technique. Um, I know this is nerdy, but, but the passage I read to you, I bet a lot of you were like, what do we do with all of that? The order of Melchizedek, what do we do with that? What do we, why are we talking about Aaron? But, but it's because the author is saying, all right, let's go this way. Now that you understand that, let's bring it back this way. And so the first thing we need to talk about, and I'm taking this chiastic structure model from William Lane, who wrote the World Bible Commentary, Hebrews 1 through 8. It's 47a, if you're wondering. But, but the first thing we see in verse 5-1 is the old office of high priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. If, if we go back to, to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, books of Moses, or the book of Moses, if we go back to that, we see a picture of there is a high priest who is designated from among the people, uh, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. They are an intercessor. Their role is to stand between God and man and offer sacrifice, gifts and sacrifices for sin. When the Israelites wanted God to dwell with them at Mount Sinai, when, when they built the tabernacle, when they, when they said, God, we, or when God said, I want you to be my people and I will be your God, in order that, for that to happen, there had to be a priest who could mediate between God and the people. And we've seen over the last two weeks that Jesus is greater than Moses, and now we're going to see that Jesus is greater than any high priest. And so, so the role of the high priest was to mediate between God and man, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. The next thing we see in the passage is there's a solidarity of the high priest with the people. Solidarity is like unity, or if you're a Five Iron Frenzy fan, it's one of their worst songs, but it gets stuck in your head when you read the word. I know one person like that. So um, Hebrews 5, 2, and 3 
He can deal gently, the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So when we, when we say he has solidarity with the people, we're, we're saying he, he offers sacrifices on their behalf before God, but he also is a sinner. He knows temptation. He knows weakness. He's, he's not different from the people. He is held to that office of intercessor, but he is still sinful. And so he has solidarity with the people in that. And finally, there's humility of the high priest. And the way this comes about in this passage, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Um, th- this is an important thing. The high priest's were designated by the Lord. There was like a whole system by which they came to be. They were Levites. They were from a specific tribe in Israel. They, they were a certain people group that the Lord had designated, and the high priest came up from that people group. And so this is very important. They did not like vote on high priests. They did not like, I don't, I don't know what else. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of examples of this. I was trying to think last night. I still don't have any, except that it was like, it's yours till you die, and then it passes down. We see that in the Old Testament, um, and we see this passage of high priest after high priest after high priest, um, and it, it was not something that they earned. It was something they were appointed to, called by God. And so that's our picture of a high priest, the, the ABC the old office of high priest, the solidarity of the high priest with the people, the humility of the high priest. And now the author shifts and starts talking about Jesus. Because he said, remember, at the start of this passage, he said, since then we have a great high priest. He has just claimed Jesus as a high priest. And I want to tell you a few interesting things here. The old office of high priest was tied to the tribe of Levi. Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's from the line of David. And so when we start to talk about this, there's something that happens here because the high priests were appointed, right? They were called by God. It was not something they went into on their own. And so we have to wonder what's going on with Jesus. And the author says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's God for the record, but that's Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. It's a psalm about the one, the Lord's anointed who reigns on his behalf. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so now Jesus is appointed as a high priest. He did not make himself high priest. He was appointed as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is where we go, what on earth? Um, I bet a lot of you were thinking it's Melchizedek, and it might be. So we need to talk about the order of Melchizedek for a moment. Um, Melchizedek comes from this story in Genesis chapter 14. So um, Abraham, and at this point he might have still been Abram. I know some of you are going to be like, well, he wasn't Abraham yet. But, but we're going to call him Abraham so I can make the father Abraham. Had many sons. Like that Abraham, okay? So we need to recognize that. It doesn't sound the same if you say Father Abraham. Yeah, right? So, so that we've got the order of Melchizedek. There, there's this story where Abraham 
and he's got a nephew named Lot, and they are both becoming large households, and they split, and after they split, there's a battle where a bunch of kings get together and fight a bunch of other kings, and at the end of it, Lot and his household are taken captive. And so Abraham gathers some men, and they go win a battle against the army that won, and they rescue Lot, and they rescue all this stuff, and they get all this loot. And so they get all of that, and then as they are returning, this guy named Melchizedek, we meet him for the first time. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. That's the first thing we learn about him. Um, and, and this is Genesis 14, a very important note here. When we see Melchizedek was the king of Salem, the very first thing that we should think is he was not a descendant of Abraham when we're in the book of Hebrews, okay? How do we know he was not a descendant of, Dab- of Abraham? He was the king of Salem. Abraham was not a part of Salem, The next thing, Melchizedek, the next thing the passage said, he was a king of Salem. He was a priest of God most high. And he was not a Levite or a Jew. Of course he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't descended from Abraham. And he was not a Levite. But he's called a priest of the most high God. The next thing we learn is that he blessed Abraham. And later on in Hebrews, in like Hebrews 7, we see that this suggests that he is greater than Abraham. It may not be, but it suggests he is greater than Abraham. But I think what confirms it is then Abraham tithes Melchizedek. He gives him 10% of all the loot and spoil from the battle. And you may say, why does this matter? Well, it confirms he is greater than Abraham, certainly in Abraham's mind. And you may say, well, what does this mean for us today? Well, when we make the claim that Jesus is a high priest, if we're going by a strictly Jewish picture, we are saying immediately, unless we can talk about this guy, we are saying that Jesus breaks covenants in the Old Testament. And Jesus does not break covenants in the Old Testament. He fulfills them. And so if Jesus is a high priest, he must be from a different order. What's really interesting is the order of Melchizedek, this language. Later on in Hebrews, we see Melchizedek is, it it mentions that when Melchizedek blesses Abraham and um, Abraham tithes him, um, he he basically, the, the language the author uses is the entirety of the nation of Israel was still in Abraham's loins. So basically, that's the language used in the Bible, but so basically like, Melchizedek is blessing the Levites, and the Levites are a part of tithing Melchizedek. And so we're seeing a priestly order greater than the Jewish priestly order. I hope this makes sense. And if you're like, this is still complicated, also okay, because it is complicated. Um, so, so again, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the first thing we learn is he was an appointed priest. He is not breaking the Old Testament. He is confirming it. He is a, like he is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The next thing we see is the solidarity of Christ with the people. Now, the solidarity of the high priest with the people was because they both sinned. The solidarity of Christ with the people was in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but but the underlying principle is he was tempted. He had human weakness, but he never sinned. We saw that earlier in 4.14. It says he was without sin, but he still experienced temptation. And the way that we experience temptation, he somehow experienced it. And, And we'll talk about that in a moment. But finally, 
we see the new office of high priest. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so right now the author is drawing, there was an old office and now there's a new office. The old high priest could recognize and deal gently with the people because he'd also sinned. The new high priest was also tempted, so he can deal the same way with gentleness, even though he was without sin. The old high priest was appointed, the new high priest is appointed. And you may wonder why this matters. Well, it matters for so many reasons. One of the first ones, later on in Hebrews, it says in chapter 7, verses, I think it's 22 through 25, um, the, the former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing office. The, the former high priest had a lifespan. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. At the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see a new priesthood. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost those, uh, save to the uttermost those who draw near, same language, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. Jesus is there on a throne, and he is interceding on behalf of all who call on his name. The old high priest would offer prayers over the people for their sins and offer sacrifices and would would lead the people and deal gently with them. The new high priest is the same, but he reigns forever. We see later in Hebrews, and I want to just say it over and over whenever I think about it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That picture of Jesus is unchanging. He will never change. Our high priest will not die. He will not deal differently with us. He will deal gently with all who draw near to the throne of grace. If you draw near to that throne, you will find mercy. You will find grace. Amen. The old picture was a picture where sin had to continually be accounted for. The new picture is a picture where sin has been accounted for once and for all. Now, there are a bunch of things that I've just glossed over that we now have to talk about um, because there's a thing here, right? There's a thing. Although he was a son, he learned obedience and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation. That sure sounds like Jesus wasn't perfect. That sure sounds like Jesus wasn't always obedient. And that sounds like he wasn't always a source of salvation. Right? I mean, that's a, it's there on the surface. And we need to wrestle with that. In fact, the passage we are in today is one of a couple passages. It's probably the key passage if you want to have a conversation about what did it mean that Jesus was fully God and fully man. There's maybe one other big one, but this one, we, we have to account for this. We have to wrestle with this because when it says these things, is this saying that he was not always fully God? I think the answer to that is a clear no, but there's questions of like, like so there's passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where Jesus goes in the wilderness and he's tempted. And, and there's always the question of, well, could he have sinned? When he's in the garden and he says, Father, I don't really want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. Could he have just said, Father, I don't really want to do this. All right, I'm taking off. Like, I, those, are, those are questions that, that we wonder and scholars wonder and people who have way more time to study this wonder. And, and the, the thing that, that I come away with is, could God 
built a rock so heavy he could not lift. I, I joke, but, but there are questions that we just can't know the answer to. What I feel confident in when I look at a passage like this is I think there's an, a, a way to read this that, that is in line with what we are talking about. You see, this author of Hebrews assumes they have a strong knowledge of the Old Testament. And if they have a strong knowledge of the Old Testament, until Jesus died on that cross and rose again, he had not proved that he was who he said he was. Without the death and resurrection, we should throw out the Bible. Specifically, without the resurrection. Did you know in the, in the New Testament, every time Jesus talks about his death, it is tied to his resurrection in the way that he talks about it. He does not talk about his death as, well, I'm going to die, and then we'll see what happens. He says, and three days later, I will rise from the dead. And when we come to this passage, I think what the author of Hebrews is saying is that in, in him willingly doing what he did, no matter how we understand God's ability to or not to have the agency to sin, I don't think God can sin. I think Jesus is fully God, but I think he's also fully man. He experienced temptation. Learning obedience here is a picture of he showed he had done obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source. If Jesus would have not died on the cross, we would not say he was perfect. We would not say he is the source of eternal salvation without the death and resurrection. And I think that is what the author is drawing out if you are reading this from an Old Testament lens. This is an affirmation of the Old Testament promises that Jesus fulfilled. And so we, we need to remember that. Because what happens here, the new office of high priest, could not happen until the blood of Jesus was shed and until death was defeated with his resurrection. We cannot miss that. Oh, I already read that. Sorry, everybody. Later on in the, passage, or in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven. And then even later on in 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, perfecter, that same language, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I, I want to draw your attention to something, and it's where we're going to close our time. Because we just talked about Jesus as a high priest. So what is his role? His role is to intercede on our behalf. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in heaven. He is alive. Amen. But, but when we come back to where we started, in light of this information, I, I hope it will change for you. And I, I hope it will change a lot of how you think about the gospel. For me, it does when I think about this and when I first came to this conclusion. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I was a younger man, and a boy, and a young man. Sorry, I, I feel like when I say when I was a younger man, it makes it sound like a few years ago. And it kind of was a few years ago, actually. But um, here, here is how I lived. Here is how I lived as a Christian. Um, and I talked about this last week. I, I could talk about this every week. Um, I, do you know the, the old adage, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission? Yes. Did you know that um, 
the first place I can find it mentioned is in a British magazine or newspaper article from the 1800s, um, where it was a husband declaring something about his wife, um, which I thought was really, like he, yeah, I, I giggled, um, but <sighs> happy Mother's Day. Sorry, no, so, so the forgiveness and permission, um, sorry, every, I thought that was going to land better. Forgiveness and permission. For a very long time in my life, I, I've used this, I, I've been really drawing your attention, I hope, to the throne of grace, the high priest who sits at the right hand of God at the throne of grace. And the reason I hope you see this is because for so long in my life, Jesus was sitting on a cross. And, and for so long in my life, when I thought about my faith, my faith was a conversation continually of guilt and crying out for forgiveness I, I, I thought for a long time, I've talked about this before, I thought for a long time, every time I sinned, it was like a little rail into Jesus, shedding more blood. I thought that he was still there, and I cried out to God for forgiveness, and that was the only time I cried out to God. I related to God through Jesus, through his death only. And, and, and when I did that, what I thought was, the way that Jesus can relate to me is every time I sin, he felt it. Isn't that twisted? It's not there at all, but that's how I thought. And I'm going to make an assumption that some of you in your head, when you pray, when you feel bad about your faith, when you feel guilty in your head, the image that you draw to is Jesus on a cross. And the problem with that is that when I left him there, and this is me, I'm talking about me, and I think this applies to many of you. I could be wrong entirely, but for me, when I put Jesus on the cross in my head, I ask him for forgiveness, and I sit back on my throne. And then I go live my life the way I'm going to live it, and then I start to feel guilty when I start to wander away, and then I come back to him and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry again for what I'm doing to you or what I did to you, instead of thinking, Jesus, you're on a throne right now, and you know exactly what I'm going through, and somehow you went through it without sin. You know exactly when I am tempted, when I am angry, when I'm ready to yell at nurses who can't get the IV right, even after I told them, oh yeah, I'm a pastor at a local church, I'm ready to ah, stop poking my daughter. I'm ready to treat them poorly because of my stress. In those moments, Jesus knows what it's like to be stressed, to be disappointed, to, to have all of those things, and yet he never succumbed. And when I think of him on the throne, I really think, and when I first started doing this a number of years ago, I really think my posture towards the Lord started to change and my posture towards others started to change. Because instead of going to God out of guilt saying, Lord, forgive me, I started to come to the Lord on the front end of things. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm sorry I blew it, I started beginning conversations with the Lord. Lord, I know you reign right now, and I know in you I can find mercy. I know in you I receive grace. Lord, help me to see that in my life today. Help me to believe that. Help me to follow through on that. Help me to believe that you are there. And it might sound like a little thing, but it's a very big thing. And, and some of you may be thinking, well, I think we're supposed to keep Jesus on the cross sometimes. That's why we have those crucifix things, right? I don't think that's a very accurate picture of Jesus in the New Testament. 
Um, and, and part of this is because after Jesus is on the cross in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cross is referenced, but he's on a throne. In the book of Revelation, we don't go back to the cross. His blood is shed and the shed blood is mentioned, but he's on a throne. And the picture that we are given is a picture of a king on a throne. And he is a king who is a high priest who stands between us and God and invites us to draw near in confidence, to hold fast the confession of our faith. In our moments of shame and weakness, to know that the one who sees us deals gently. He loves us. Praise the Lord, he died for us on the cross. Praise the Lord, his blood was shed. Praise the Lord, he rose from the dead and he is in heaven. And even now, he is interceding on our behalf before the Lord. I know this, this for some of you, you might be wondering, well, what does this mean for me today? And, and for me, what this looks like, first and foremost, is um, I listen to Christmas music year-round. Um, and you might say that's weird, um, but, but I think all the time about the incarnation of Jesus as a, Lord, in this moment, in this moment where I am struggling, you have felt struggle, and you overcame, and you've given me your spirit that I might do the same. And so I, I, um, I the Oh Hellos plug, um, I love them. They have, they have a song, All Glory Be to God. It's not, okay, this is a hymn, but they sing my favorite version of it, so they get credit for it, but it's not them but their version, all glory be to God on high and to the earth be peace. Goodwill henceforth from God to man, begin and never cease. That is a song for the incarnation of Jesus. They have another song on the same album. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods and hills and plains, again, this is not really their song, but they have a great rendition of it. While fields and floods and hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. This is one of my favorite choruses in all of Christian singing. And I, I just, as I think about it, I just think... Over and over, how we should never stop repeating this. How we should never stop thinking about God who became man, that we might experience his fullness and his goodness, that we might be able to draw near in confidence to his throne. And what changes when we do this is we stop thinking, I think, or we start, start repenting from thinking, that Jesus is a man dying on a cross. For me, that's what changes when I think this way. And we start thinking about how he reigns, and we start saying, Lord, I know you reign. How are you going to reign in my life? If you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to take this time to approach the throne of grace. And if, if you're wondering, because I could spend hours on this, if you're wondering what exactly does the throne of grace mean, in the Old Testament, because of sin, we were completely separated from God. And because of Jesus' blood, he is a high priest sitting at the right hand of the throne of grace. And that throne is the throne of God. He invites us right back to the Father here and now. I, I was thinking the best imagery I can come up with for all of us today um, is, let's say you wanted to, here's my best example of this. Let's say you wanted to get a hold of someone, and so you texted someone that was with them and said, hey, are you with so-and-so? I want to ask them a question. And the immediate response you got was the person that you were actually trying to communicate with FaceTiming you. 
some of you may not understand this, but um, I'm a millennial, which means if I can avoid texting or communicating that way, or if I can avoid anything but texting, I will. I don't like phone calls. And, but but I, the, the imagery in my head is I think a lot of the times we don't recognize that what Jesus did allows us direct access to the Father even now. We think that there are still barriers, and yes, we still sin, but we have a high priest who is gentle with us in our weakness. He knows what we go through, and he invites us to follow him in obedience even still. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended, that he's seated at your right hand. We thank you, Jesus, that you were perfect, that you, through your work, through your obedience, through what you did for us, we have access to the Father through you. We are invited to sit and draw near to your throne. Father, I admit that there are times where I like to keep you at a distance because I worry that I won't measure up. I also know my sin, and I know the things I have done wrong, and I thank you that through your Son we can have confidence that you will deal gently with us. We thank you that through your son, we have a king and a high priest. We have an authority in our life in heaven who knows all of our bad, who sees it laid out before him, and who loves us in the middle of it. And I pray for each and every person here today that we would draw near to your throne, that in our prayers, we would not put you anywhere except ruling. We would recognize that your son is there. And so even as we have shame, and sin and weakness in our life, I pray that we would recognize that we can draw near to you through your son's death and resurrection. I thank you that you do this, that we might have life in you, that we might be with you. I pray that you would help us to just keep that in the front of our minds at all times, that we would strive to live in that rest that you've invited us into, that we would stand before you, we would draw near in confidence, we would hold fast to the confession that Jesus is Lord, that he is our high priest, that he is greater than all earthly things. He is greater than all heavenly things, he, and he is unchanging, and we pray we would rest in that truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand one more time together in body or in spirit. Let's join our voices as we come together before the throne of grace. Sing, come thou fount, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Dreams of mercy, ever ceasing, call for songs of loudest grace. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's redeeming love. 
Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. We pray that you have a blessed, blessed week in him. We'll see you next Sunday.